Welcome to VPG's Virtual Water Cooler Chat Podcast, a platform that celebrates the rich tapestry of professional diversity, empowering both women and men. We aim to foster diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, DEIA, for all, while recognizing and championing the achievements of everyone as a central pillar of our journey. In our conversations, we explore a wide spectrum of backgrounds, experiences, and perspectives, creating a vibrant mosaic that enriches our collective understanding and strengthens our commitment to diversity and empowerment. Jessica Wen is the Chief Legal Officer of Lexian, the AI-powered legal intake and contract lifecycle management system, helping attorneys manage tasks and contracts in one place. Jessica plays an integral role in managing Lexion's legal function and product and go-to market strategy, while also building a platform advocating for general counsels, legal professionals, and women with over 15,000 LinkedIn followers and speaking events, webinars that regularly have hundreds or thousands of registrants. She has an extensive in-house legal career at companies of various sizes and stages and has been the first legal hire that built out the legal function of a company three times. Prior to Lexion, she was the general counsel and first in-house attorney of Payscale, a Microsoft Office 365 attorney, and the first in-house attorney at Avalara. Jessica is a graduate of the University of Washington School of Law and is an award-winning general counsel, including 2023 Washington State Bar Association Legal Innovation Award, 2020 Startup GC of the Year by Corporate Counsel Magazine, 2019 Top 100 Legal Influencers by the Business Journals, 2019 Best Under 40 by the National Asian Pacific American Bar Association, and 2018 Puget Sound Business Journal 40 Under 40. Hi, Jessica. How are you doing? Thank you so much for coming on to the virtual water cooler chat. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me, Ashley. I'll do anything for a wonderful model of the Lexion bags that you took all over with you around the world. Uh, so a little bit of favor for favor. I'm happy to do this because your photos with the Lexion bag drop me so much joy and happiness. Oh, I mean, my pleasure. <laughs> <laughs> you literally, so folks who are listening, uh, at Laxion, we hand out reusable bags with a funny or witty legal phrase. And the one that Ashley carried around with her on her vacation to, was it Italy? Yeah, it was Italy. Italy. Uh, the one that I, uh, the one that you post on LinkedIn, I think that was at uh, Cinque Terre. Ooh, one of my favorite places in the world. So mm. beautiful. My, basically, that bag has traveled in better places than me. But the bag also says, I will reasonably reuse this bag in good faith. And if you do contracts, you will nerd out about it. I thought that was like the greatest, like, you know, irony. And when <laughs> I met you at uh, Chips Network at the USPTO. Yes. Um, I think that's one of the things that um, I met you when you were actually with Lisa Wynn. Yeah. One of, one of, uh, one of her friends. And she was a baby attorney when I started, you know, when I got to know her. Mm-hmm. And because she was co-counsel. And now she's at El Novery. And mm-hmm. um, the other day I was like, oh, two wins together. We got to take pictures. <laughs> <laughs> that's correct. What a coincidence. Yeah. And she's yeah. also on the panel with me at the CHIPS event. 
Correct. Correct. Yep. yep. So let's dive right into it. So one of the things that really draws me to you is how genuine you are. Oh. And I think part of it is like sometimes as Asian Americans, especially when we are growing up, people are taught as a woman you have to have proper decorum and all mm-hmm. of this thing. And I think sometimes we lose our self sort of like in the process, and we are not able to really show ourselves authentically. So when I saw you, especially on the panel, and you were just like speaking your mind, I was like, "Wow, that's pretty cool." Went to the part where I stood up and talked about how my butt has taken the form of my office chair. That really just. She's the one. She's the one I want on my podcast. So were there other enlightening moments, Ash? Hopefully there was other enlightening moments. Well, that was actually one of the moments because <laughs> I was like, wow. Because most of the time when I speak, I was like, okay, if I'm speaking, how much censorship should I actually, self-censorship yeah. should yeah. I do, right? And I mean, it's not like that we are doing, I mean, you're absolutely funny. Yesterday, when you were doing your Snoop Dogg ra- uh, rapping, it's going to be a good soundbite. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I have not told my kids yet. My daughters, they're going to be horrified and embarrassed. But, you know, I feel like giving them life, it is my privilege now to be able to embarrass them. And I think that's something that we would definitely want to talk about, like, during this podcast, because... Especially for someone, you said that you're a Vietnamese American mm-hmm. and you grew up in Honolulu. Mm-hmm. And I just did some study earlier before this on the lawyer story of episode 151, where you talk about contract AI and where you, I think your junior year, you have to take a bus to go help your parents to file mm-hmm. some tax forms. Most people these days, children these days do not do that. Mm-mm. So I think that actually help us get some toughness and grit in us. And before we sort of like get started, if you have to describe Jessica as a brand, how would you describe yourself? Wow. I think the number one adjective consistently, actually, there are two things I always hear. One, you're incredibly resourceful. I hear also scrappy. Those are all synonyms in my mind. The other adjective that I consistently hear across all the places I've worked and all of my colleagues is, Jess, you keep it real. So that's going to be authenticity. So those are the two adjectives that I would describe myself. And if I were to give it like a a fancy label, uh, it would be more of like I've used revenue generating general counsel. I've used the stand-up general counsel. I get a lot of folks who give me feedback when I go to speaking engagements in person. They're like, Jess, do you have training in stand-up? I go, no. They're like, you should do stand-up. Like, you just have, like, that energy. You're laughing. Do you agree? That's consistent feedback that I get whenever I do a, a live speaking engagement. Yeah, actually, you are so funny. And, but like very concise and uh, which is not something that I am good at. I, I can be funny. So I usually used to tell my friend, it's like, well, if I don't make it as a paralegal, I'm just going to be a stand-up. They could either be laughing with me or laughing at me. One way or another, I'm charging admission. I mean, I'm just happy to be laughing. So, you know, we're all good there, Ashley. You should pursue your dreams. You go live your best life. Well, I am living my best life right now. So that 
That's really, really good. As an Asian American, mm-hmm. you um, get in, you got into the legal career. I think lawyers traditionally, as a profession, is not something that you know we are familiar with. Definitely not the parents, and we don't necessarily have the network. How did you navigate yourself into the legal career? A lot of trial and error. Very candidly, it was. You know, when I think about over my career and who have been my career champions, who have been the ones who took a risk and gave me a role, it wasn't Asian Americans. And I'm going to be very honest with you, Ashley. It was someone, oftentimes an older white gentleman, who just saw, connected with me, and just saw potential. And I am grateful to all of those folks to have given me that chance. And I don't think we talk about that enough, that there are a lot of white male allies out there who quietly give those opportunities to folks like me who have no built-in network, right? There's no, there's, I didn't go to Harvard. I don't have a Harvard alum network. I don't have mom and dad who has an expansive network. It was all organically created. What do you think that they saw in you that this allies mostly, like you said, white men that kind of help you move yeah. forward. Yeah, it's exactly what I said earlier about the two factors of this scrappiness, this resourcefulness, this this energy that, you know, I'm going to work really hard and get it done or find a way to get it done, no matter what it is. Balanced with this uniqueness of someone who can be authentic, funny, engaging, relatable, and you know, I may not be a white male myself, but one of my superpowers is is having warm conversations with folks in person and being able to connect with them regardless of their race, their gender, where they grew up, and leading conversations with curiosity and finding connections. So one of my very good friends and my former manager at Payscale was a white gentleman, and we always bonded over our dedication to family. He is a family man, and I am a family woman. And so we talk about those things. There's always something that we have in common. That's wonderful. Um, <laughs> the reason why I yeah. kind of spotted that is because most of my mentors during my growing up, they're mostly men. Yeah. And I had a very fat feel. I had some women that supported me. There's, for example, there was this one... Japanese American woman, mm-hmm. she, um, her husband, her late husband, well, she, she passed, but her husband was like how a patent was like the father of, you know, pharmaceutical, like really, really impactful Japanese American in Lawrence, Kansas. And my parents used to own a Chinese restaurant. So everybody, all the scholars would come over to the restaurant and eat, and I would yeah. have to serve. And so I know everybody, and then her name is Aya, and she would basically designate me to kind of cover the table. And we have become like, um, she she passed a a long time ago Mm -hmm. now, but she had took care of me the way, it almost seemed like that I was like a granddaughter. Mm -hmm. But my parents were not highly educated. I was Mm -hmm. the only one for a long, long time that actually had gotten a college degree, first girl. And so some of the struggle that you have talked about that you didn't really have the network, I didn't really have the network, but no. everybody at the restaurant when they were like seeing me working, because I have my corner table, 
And even since high school, I will be right at the exit, by the exit sign. I think that's a sign, <laughs> you know? So I would like just sit there and then when it's the restaurant is busy, then I would get up and do like waitressing. You know, it's a small family restaurant. Sometimes I would go in the back and do like dishes. You just kind of do everything, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like a mad egg roll old rapper for a long time. Ooh, that's a you super know, that, that I love a, a good egg so, so you just kind of have to, like when you said resourceful, because we really don't have anyone else to show us the way and you just find your own way. So when I had like my professors, and I have several male professors that have been really helpful. And then I, uh, for example, even after I graduated from my master's degree, I started at a law firm. But I didn't start in intellectual property. And so even with a master's degree, when I was up for promotion and people would say that, well, your master's degree is irrelevant. (laughs) Okay. I mean, I can understand where they're coming from. So I spoke with Aya. She's like this 80-year-old, really wise woman. And she was like, what would it take for it to matter? I said, I don't know. I guess I have to get a paralegal certificate. You know, this is, if a master degree is not relevant, what would be, right? And I was in litigation, so she said that without any question, she sent me a check. And she goes, like, go figure out what program you want to get into. I said, I cannot take your money. She was like, just take it. It's my, my scholarship to you. So I have been really fortunate to have people like that. And which is one of the reasons why you see, like, I, I specifically pull up this background. I don't use it often because I don't like self-promotion that much, but it is really important when you're a business owner. Yes. And it's so, not just important when you're a business owner, it's important, period. And I yes. think it's not cultivated or encouraged enough in Asian culture. culture. And that's yeah. in a whole nother, we can talk for probably five hours about that, Ashley. Yes, we don't have five hours, but let's, <laughs> you know. So one of the things that I was really intrigued as, do you consider yourself an introvert or extrovert? Introvert. It's awesome. Because so many people that has really a big personality on stage, they actually are introverts. So how you, Oh, you- really? That is that? I'm actually very quite introverted. A lot of folks are very... Just because I'm I have a big personality or I like talking to folks and building relationships, it's yeah, where I get my energy source from. I'm exhausted after a conference or a big speaking engagement. I have to go back to my hotel room and recharge. Yeah. So you don't seem surprised at all. Like, yeah, the, the I'm not surprised, face. Yeah, because I mean, I don't know if you would think that I'm an introvert. Most of my friends say that you're not an introvert. I'm like, uh, yes, I am. I mean, I think I might be ambivert. So yeah. I think that is actually more accurate because, you know, you got to do what you got to do. Now, can we t- switch topic a little bit to diversity, equity, inclusion, and mm-hmm. accessibility, especially in the legal landscape that we are navigating? What does DEIA mean to you, Jessica? DEIA means to me is evening the landscape and doing the best that you can to eliminate the biases that do the best. I mean, we all have biases. I do. You do. We all do. They can't, but giving, evening the, the overall landscape to ensure that folks like you and I who grew up with 
no role models, no connections, immigrant parents, low income, have an equal opportunity to be successful, regardless of and whatever makes them different, whether it be their race, a disability, their gender, etc. Really, it's a quality of opportunity is how I define it. And I'm sure other folks would define it differently and how I've lived it. So I, I think about I think about like how I act and show up at events. Why not me the way that I am? Like, why can't I be the general, like be, be the definition of what a general counsel should look or sound like? And I don't look or sound like a normal general counsel. When I went, you know, thinking about 10 years ago, who I was 10 years, Ashley, if you asked me, what do you, what do you envision when you see who a general counsel is? Someone in a suit, someone with gray hair, probably of more of a white, white colored skin. Maybe next, African-American, because let's be honest, Asian-Americans struggle with rising and the promotion velocity of Asian-Americans is quite slow or non-existent. I will be happy for the day an East Asian shows up on the U.S. Supreme Court. (laughs) One day, right? One day it will go. Maybe. My kids will see it. I'm not like holding my breath, but like an East Asian. I had my, my husband had a conversation with more likely a South Asian, in my opinion, but in East Asia, best of luck. I, I hope and pray for that opportunity and to not like and, um, be open minded, really, about what it means to be a GC, what it means to be a successful professional. Having gone through what you have gone through, become like a very successful as a chief legal officer as, at Laxion, do you feel like that you? I'm doing something deliberately different in raising your two daughters so that they can have a better or maybe in a society where there's more level playing field. Yeah, I do think that my daughters do live in a society where there is a more level playing field and the biases are they're always going to exist, but in a different way. So what I have focused on as a mother is, you know, when we grow, when you become a parent, the only thing that you really strive for is making sure that your kids have a better life and opportunity than you had, right? And all of our parents wanted the same things for us. But so, as you talked about, Ashley, about so much of who I am, the scrappy, the resourceful person, the fearlessness of being authentic in, a, in an industry or career that's quite conforming, risk averse, serious all the time, unnecessarily, I was a challenger. I was a rebel at, at this time. And and that came from a background where I struggled a lot. And my daughters are not struggling as much as I did. They don't take a bus, a public bus to pick up IRS tax forms from the public library. You're laughing. That is not a thing now for children. No. <laughs> so my focus is making, and, and honestly, it's been eye-opening and humbling to have challenges or learn how to manage and coach the next the younger generation of, of employees. And so at Laxion, I get I get that opportunity. I have that opportunity because the company, I was a part of the company from when it was 12 employees to now we're almost a hundred. It is unavoidable for me to touch <laughs> a young employee as we were growing and scaling. They don't work like us. They don't think like us and the other generation. <laughs> but so what that has taught me is that how do I teach that grit, that resourcefulness with my daughters? So what my husband and I have focused on is 
sports and Mm -hmm. activities and not giving up, being a team player, winning and losing gracefully and saying it's okay to fail, but always give it your all, whatever it is. If you look at my LinkedIn profile, I proudly put in my headline that I am a sports mom. I think there's so many amazing life lessons by being a dedicated and competitive athlete that you learn. But it's not just about the soccer or the volleyball. When it, when you win, it's great. But people need to learn how to lose. Absolutely. You don't learn to walk unless you fall a lot. Yep. Um, I completely agree. And when you talk about the next generation, I was like, oh, let's go with a plain, you know, uh, background. But I want to talk to you a little bit about VPG. This is a startup. We just passed four years. And I know. Congratulations. That we, thank you. <laughs> Almost five years. <laughs> well, next year. Um, but like if you see like the book and the puzzles, I, I think maybe year two, I was trying mm-hmm. to like engage. You know, it's basically a startup, a virtual company working with people that you do not see in person most of the time. And there's some millennial, but there was definitely an increasing amount of Gen Zers. And that was definitely an interesting. So all of this illustration was done by a 19-year-old. Wow, Uh, they did a great job. Yeah, she actually started working with me since she was 17, because I know her parents. And so I wrote my book, and we did like puzzles, and we go on Zoom and do voiceover just to practice our confidence. Mm. Because I just like, I have a lot of hypotheses. It's like, let's test this out. If we are assuming the animal voice, then we are not being ourselves will we be able to sort of carry our conversation or our voiceover be more confident? And eventually when you practice enough, would that actually change? So that's one of the one of the things like in um so I wrote two books. And um the first one is building a leadership habitat and the second one is collaborating in competitive ecosystems. So that one we have talked about resourceful I think that most people would actually say that I'm resourceful and very creative because of image issues. People do not necessarily want to test things because of their fear of failing. Mm. What if, you know, what if I make a big fool of myself? Well, I mean, what if you don't? So we have for the last few years, uh, I've actually collaborated with uh, Michelle Kim, who is the zebra in this and each time I was like maybe we should do a puzzle maybe I, I probably drive me crazy maybe we could do this and then you know yesterday when we were doing the live chat it was like maybe we should do like the background I, like, I don't like the black on the top and the black on the bottom how do I do this and then so Caitlin was like well we have to go into another platform and so let's try this out, out right now and I said <laughs> so you're dragging me out of stone age she goes like yes so we tested this out. Yeah, I love that, Ashley. You know, I, I don't mind that there were imperfections as you and your team were learning better ways to do that interview. I think I think it's reframing every situation in our head and to eliminate or mitigate fear. Reframing something that you think is, I'm so afraid to do this because I might fail. How about, think about it as, what can I learn from this? And think about you either win or you learn, not I either win or you fail. Think about every failure, every time you get constructive feedback as a gift and a learning opportunity. 
So I am doing something completely insane. <laughs> You're what? I am doing something completely insane. So the first oh, one, this, is, this sounds amazing. I love insane action. Well, insanity is good, you know, because it's only borderline between genius, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's what is that. So the very first book is I have actually gotten to know quite a few authors and they have been on my podcast, like Lisa Gable, Cash, Iolani, so some amazing people. And one of the things that they talked about is that because my books are self-published and I enjoyed writing and I actually was able to turn my whole ecosystem into like animals and everybody has the personality. And they were like, how did you know that? they were supposed to do it. I said, that's because it's your personality. So it was like really interesting. But for the first book, I never promoted it. I just give it away and I I, I never promoted it. And I, I was talking to Iolani in another podcast. She wrote a children's book. Uh, uh, it's called Leonard Takes Flight. She wanted to basically encourage more visibility for black children to mm-hmm. know that they can actually travel because if it's not out there if you're not being seen you don't know that that is possible for you so she is actually um she's the vp of dei at the Carlisle group so we had a really amazing discussion on that and but she was like so actually when did you claim yourself as a published author so not until I finished my second book. So it's it was really like interesting. You would, I mean, if you see me, you wouldn't say that I'm someone that has particularly low confidence. You know, I can't run a business if I don't I do that. But there were so many things that I think that it's influenced by culture. Because mm. for Asian Americans, a lot of times is that. Maybe not the current generation, like the, the younger generation. I don't see that they have as much of an issue, but there's still a little bit of struggle. So I think at that one of the things is that in traditional Asian American culture or Asian cultures, it's like you're not supposed to go and brag about yourself. Which becomes it's like when I'm like on social media talking about this, my mom was like, Why are you on social media again? You know? And it's just like in her frame of mind that is not appropriate you know that mm-hmm. will that will basically especially now there's so much cyber attack and like you know identity fraud and she's really concerned and fearful that I might actually get hurt by being out there so points well taken but how do you grow a startup if you're not out there you can't there is risk in everything that you do in this life uh, whether it be at a startup, whether it be just living your life, would I be would I mitigate my risk of not dying from a car crash if I just sit in my house all day? And just <laughs> yes. Nowadays that might be plane coming in. <laughs> <laughs> I might go mentally insane. And I think the pandemic showed that that there actually became a risk. But you yes, you absolutely have to get out there and take risk, especially if you have a startup. What do you think? I, I know that Lexion used to be a startup. Yeah, And when you're growing from a dozen people to a hundred people, can you talk a little bit about how it changed for you as a leader, like as a chief legal officer? Because obviously it's very different running or, you know, uh, working with a team that is a dozen versus a hundred. 
Well, when it's a team of 12 and you're the only non-technical person, it means I'm doing this. I'm rolling up my sleeves and I'm doing whatever needs to get done to survive and grow. So I'm actually, I've done product demos. I've written product support documents. I I write posts on social to raise brand awareness. And I did some of the legal work too. That That's employee 12. Now, but that doesn't scale. So as you grow and scale, the most critical aspect of being an excellent leader is hiring and hiring the right people to take you, take you to the next level. But hiring is hard and hiring is, is what I've learned. <laughs> Oh, we can talk about that all day long about hiring. Hiring five hours. (laughs) Oh my gosh. It's but I really think it starts with the top and and laying out a vision and a strategy. And then what is the person, the persona, the responsibilities and skills that they that 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 will help us get to the next level? And it's hard. So you're gonna need to either know it, have mentors to teach you and tell you the right person that you need, and then also the tactical, like, so uh, an example would be, you know, one of the, one of my early roles was having to hire heads of marketing. What do I do with that? Heads of marketing, I'm a lawyer, I'm a JC. So it's like, ask, like listening to a lot of podcasts about what it takes to be a great CMO and then try to like, and collaborate with our board about the right questions to test and ask people. So there's, a lot of learnings along the way and be okay with that. But you're, you're, but being okay with change and you need to adapt. So don't do a startup unless you're okay with that evolution and a constant evolution of your priorities and responsibilities. Remember employee 12, do a little bit of everything. Then you get to like, you know, employee, you know, 20 to 50 employees. Then you're going to need to start creating some process. (laughs) Then you're going to need to start hiring some people that have more, uh, expertise in certain functions. And then you get to like 100 employees. Oh, <laughs> now we need to really get someone who has expertise in scaling to a certain amount of employees and a certain revenue point as well. And they know how to do it. They know what tech stack to use, the experts to hire. So it has been a fun and wild and educational ride, Ashley. That's awesome. And there's no better <laughs> one to do that than you, right? Um, I'm sure there's a lot of people better than than me at it, but I've been learning and growing along the way. I think that's the mentality, the mindset that really is needed because there is a book. I don't know. I, I like to recommend books every once in a while. So there is uh, someone by the name Jenny Gottlieb and, mm-hmm. and her work is called Be Seen. And she was on at my last uh, podcast. Uh, so about the audible because that's how I listen to books. You and I are like actively on social media because that's kind of, it goes with the territory. But mm-hmm. I think that sometimes, especially in legal, um, people tend to think that, oh, I really don't need to do that. And then I think Jenny Gottlieb was saying, like, well, you don't need it right now. <laughs> One day you might need it when you did the LinkedIn Live. And immediately, I mean, you just have amazing touch to put stories out there. And I think that's why you have engagement. Yeah. And people like you. So probably that's another reason. But like, I was like, oh, my God, what other pictures are there out there with me with the rag? Did I send her anything else? Oh, no, don't worry. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't. I wouldn't share the, the other inappropriate ones. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry. I have some filter. No, I'm just kidding, folks. She did not, Ash did not send any inappropriate photos, only funny and wonderful photos. Why do you believe in social media and why do you like engage out there? Because there are people yeah. that basically say, we don't need it. Yeah, that's a good question because I think, Ashley, right now, because I've been at Laxion for almost four years. I think there is a misperception that I've been engaging on social media and in particular LinkedIn only during my time at Lexion to help grow the Lexion startup. That's actually not true. I've been on I've been a LinkedIn member since 2005. Wow. And I've been on the profile, although my my usage and my posting quantity has gone up, I have been active on it for a very long time. <laughs> Almost two decades. <laughs> Let's not count though, because I'm only like, you know, 25, 21. I think the way to think about it is, and how I said earlier, is a reframe of failure to an opportunity of learning or an opportunity to win. Saying, think of yourself, even if you're not you, like an Ashley or a Jessica, trying to grow a startup and using me- social media as a mechanism, a low cost mechanism for marketing. Always think that, like, look, the book that I read that I thought was really good. So, folks, if you're listening, the book I recommend is Startup of You by Reid Hoffman. uh, And he is one of the co-founders of LinkedIn. So, of course, he has a vested interest in the the success of LinkedIn, although LinkedIn is now owned by Microsoft. So, But he was one of the co-founders of LinkedIn. And I think that really helped me think about is you are the product. You are a business. And you should always be thinking about like, think think of yourself as your startup, as, as an individual. And so what do I need to do to be successful? Well, you, marketing is a component of that. Yeah. As, <laughs> yes. <laughs> marketing is a component. Like think of yourself as a startup and your services and your skill sets is a, the product. So the, the book Startup of You, I highly recommend. And that is, and if you read that, you will see why having a personal brand and building that is critical to your long-term success. Wow. So many gems and so much wisdom to share. I love it. So I have my flexibility. Sometimes people are like, what exactly do you do? Well, I do my normal filings. I have like clients, but it really has been amazing in the way that it allowed me to branch out to so many different aspects that I can actually support younger generation and they reverse coach me, you know, they teach me how yeah. to use chat GPT and other things, cameras and just like <laughs> video editing, which I'm not great at. So I think that they are going to have continue to have a job. Um, but like sometimes, like you said, it's just like allocating or delegating tasks to other people. And then make sure they feel the ownership and then mm. also hold them accountable. And that is so, so hard. It is very, people don't very like hard. Being held, what I've learned over my career is people don't like being held accountable. No, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't, you know, but at the same time, I think that's such important lessons. Yes. And I like you being genuine on stage because I used to be such a people pleaser. So mm-hmm. I didn't really like to say no to people. So I just keep saying yes. And then so it ended up not doing anyone any favor because you sort of like begrudgingly being bitter. And who else do you have to blame but, but yourself, right? 
So second time around, I'm doing this and I've learned along the way. The first couple of years that has been for the startup has been very interesting. Honestly, I have some really good clients and most of my clients come from uh, like word of mouth. Mm-hmm. Like most of the people, like they read the read the website and I don't know that they're really reading it because I don't do like patent prosecution. And I don't even do patent litigation. I just do like PTAP stuff, right? And I've started extending to ex parte re-exam. You know, year two, I didn't really quite know how to do it. But like you said, you have to be resourceful because otherwise... If you don't do that piece of the work, you might lose the other piece too. Correct. Because Correct. people are just going to go find a one-stop shop. Mm-hmm. You know, so I've really learned how to do, do that. And then I think this is one of the things that the way that I'm thinking is that I'm obviously with tact, you want it to be, especially if the younger generation, I'm just being very real with them. And I'll let them know, hey, this is not right. I don't appreciate this. I'm going to hold you accountable. They're, they may not like it, but I think in the long run, they also know that I did it with good intention. This is going to give you so much heads up before you join the real world, you know? So I think that has been one of my passion projects for the writing. I started something called Coffee and Boba Collab for the second book. How else do I go out and test my theories in the book because we have like micro learning moments and also you know yes the book is on amazon.com but i'm not like some famous author so how would i know what i was writing is actually practicable Mm -hmm. i decided to do community engagement it's gonna start january 17th I'm going to be um, doing a meet the author with one of uh, my author friends, Lisa Gable. Oh. I know, so amazing. So those are the things that I'm like inside. I think I'm pretty scared, but I'm just going to do it. If you're not doing things that you're scared to do, you're not growing. Yes, it would allow me to sort of like grow and also improve. Yeah. So I think that's what I really wanted to see about the second book. So that would be really awesome. I love this. I love that you're getting out there and you're doing things that scare you. And <laughs> you're, gonna, <laughs> oh, you're gonna be great. And you only will get better at it with reps and practice. Well, Ashley, I mean, candidly, I am not great at giving hard feedback or managing underperformers. <laughs> any any advice or tips that you would give to me? I, I I you know I said earlier what I have learned is even with my good intent, a lot of folks do not want to hear areas where they need to work on. So here's one of the things. Um this is what I learned from one of the coach, Macri. He's a business coach and he coaches people in the mid-market, which is like 50 to 400 million, like Mm -hmm. revenue. And one thing that he said is like, because sometimes we as leaders, we want to give people a chance, especially for underperformers. So sometimes it might not be that they are really truly underperformers. They might not just be right for that particular uh, role. So to the extent that there are other positions or interests that actually would allow them to sort of shine, maybe move them around, 
But there are also times that when you have to cut bait, you have to cut bait because you are responsible. Then people are just like three three strikes you out. That's sort of what I do. And um, I could not have said it before because I just thought, oh, people will hate me. Well, guess what? As a leader, you will be judged. Just just yeah. make no mistakes about yeah. that. Yeah, I, I think if there's anything, I think by being out there, if you have to make a decision, you're going to make someone unhappy. Yeah, and then sometimes it really, it also depends on how you communicate. I think the delivery is so important. Yes. People used to call me, like when I was at my really old job, they used to call me Gerald Chung. I am very process-oriented, outcome-oriented. So sometimes the people factor, the empathy factor does not really get in. But I think in corporate and also in like legal environment or some of the more demanding service industry, I think that sometimes people, people could use some guidance in terms of how to talk to people empathetically. Because if you have to retrain someone, it's very expensive. So if you can actually turn someone around and basically get them to understand how to basically grow and what is really in it for them too. Because with my team, I have pretty honest discussion with them because I'm a startup and these kids, they're going to leave. I mean, they're in CS, they're in like, you know, want to go to law school. I say, you know what, just help me find transition. I will help you find the next level. Yeah. I think that is really important. It's very, very difficult because I like, what am I going to do? But it is not all about me. And I'm really grateful that I have, you know, very good clients that allow me to sustain my business so that I can do other things that pay forward to the next generation. And that's what I'm passionate about. I love that you're paying it forward. And I love the way that if I were to summarize all the things you just said, Ashley, because I'm the 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 misconcise lady. Is that what you yes. said earlier? Why yes. are you so <laughs> guys? I have mastered the ability to tell verbosity, lady. <laughs> <laughs> I am not you're right, Ashley. I'm not a rambler. Uh, I am very concise. But the way that I would summarize all that is like it's really a discussion about fit. And sometimes what you've learned through trial and error is like, and having a discussion like, look, this is not a fit for you or not a fit for me, or is it a fit? So let's, here are my expectations. Here's the responsibility of the job. Do you want to do this? Because it's going to take worth on both ends for us to make this fit, you know, get aligned. And it's about fit, not about you personally being inadequate or stupid or poor work ethic, not a good fit. Not the right skill sets, not the right passions. The misalignment there is what I really heard and pulled away from that story. Yeah, and I think there's like, if it's not the right fit, then, you know, maybe there are other fits that are better. And a lot of time people, like, just like me, I am not always able to say no. There are so many people cannot say no. Yeah. So they would just hide behind not saying anything. So thank you for being concise, Miss Concise Lady. (laughs) (laughs) What I have also learned is the majority of the world like to avoid conflict and like to avoid hard conversations. And so that leads to a, I can't say no. Yeah, I think it's just that the need for approval too sometimes. No, that's true. Especially in Asian American culture. Oh, absolutely. Why do you think I say that? Speaking from experience. Um, So if you had to sum it up, what would be two advice that you would give to other aspiring, say, next generation 
who wants to be an attorney. Asian Americans are not. The next generation of attorneys, what I'm going to recommend, I think I would recommend challenging and growing outside of the law school education and what law school teaches you and find mentors that have great skills that you aspire to have in your legal career or roles that you aspire to have. It's so one of the interesting things is like, let's say there's a law student that wants to be an amazing trial lawyer. Maybe law school education is the right fit. But if you're a law student and you're very intrigued by AI or technology or becoming a GC like me, and a very visible GC, then understanding my path and asking for advice for folks with similar profiles. Follow me on LinkedIn. My advice to a young professional is that, that I didn't have is work backwards. Work backwards from your end goal and figure out what are the who are the mentors I should uh, follow. What kind of content should I read and and listen to to grow in that area? What kind of role or skills should I collect over years? It's not going to happen overnight. It's an investment, a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. So work backwards from that end goal and do have a a rough plan a flexible plan. And then you might do a little some of that stuff like, yo, I thought I wanted to be a trial lawyer. And then it turns out I'm really terrified of standing in front of a jury. Oh, pivot, pivot. But I'm really good at something else. I'm really good at talking to people and preparing someone for, for trial or, or deposition. Maybe I do this instead. Maybe I become a recruiter. Maybe I become a coach. So yeah, but start there. Have sort of, sort of a guiding light because you know what? Law school isn't cheap anymore too, Ashley. Oh, it wasn't cheap for me. It's a lot more expensive than when I graduated law school. Yeah, I have a couple of people that are a couple of students. One is actually at UCLA Law. And then another one is uh, taking a couple of gap years to make money so that she could go. And so she is like being my apprentice to learn about ex parte, you know, IPRs and different things. So that's quite good. So she's the one that I'm going to have to help look for something else for her. Mm. Amazing. Thank you so much, Jessica. Uh, what a treat. We had a lot of really good heart to heart talk. And I think we, which is really important. We're Asians. We have to help each other. <laughs> you know, I, I think a lot of people just look at my profile and think that I've just done things right. And I'm really successful. But the reality is like, one, I'm not a spring chicken. <laughs> I have had now, I'm almost, I'm on my 18th year of practice. And along those 18 years were a lot of mistakes, failures, and lessons along the way. So I hope that like in the stories that I tell, Ashley, that it, that's visible and to know that it's attainable, it's okay to fail. I think that is so true because people do not usually, we see only the outcome and they don't see the process of our own struggle. Yes, I love that. I love that. Like, for example, podcast, we had 35 episodes in year one. Wow. That's a lot of episodes. That's almost three <laughs> per month. That's a lot, Ashley. We did a little bit. We, we're going to slow down a little bit. But I think that because we also have like the FanPack Life Lounge and we also have other things that we're doing. Well, thank you so much, Jessica. I really do appreciate you taking your time to uh, chat with me, learn so much and Definitely love your vibes. Aw, well, the feeling is mutual. Thanks, Ashley. Mm-hmm.